So the series is called Label Maker. We're asking a question, who or what defines you? And we won't back all the way up to that, but um, all of us are living under some definition today. And even the people who say, no one's going to define me, well, then you just defined you, and so you're the one who's defined who or what you are. And I, what we're saying in this series is that all of us are here on purpose, and that's a key beginning point for us today. No one's here simply because of the decision of your parents. We are here in the room right now because of God's design. You were thought about by God, created by God. He wanted you personally, specifically, uniquely you on earth, in his story. That's why you're here. And so if God created you, God designed you, God intended you, God purposed you, God brought you to life and gives you life today, then God is the one who gets to tell you who you are. And so we've been looking into Ephesians chapter 1. We've been lifting up some of the labels that God is putting on our lives. We began with chosen a few weeks ago. And secondly, last week we saw the word heir, that in Christ we are heirs to the kingdom of God. And then today we see what I believe really could be, we say it all the time and I know the word's overused now, but this really could be a game-changing moment for you. In fact, I believe the next few minutes could be the most significant few minutes in your life. I believe the next little window of time might be the most important window of your life, especially for those of us who call ourselves Christians, who've grown up around or in church, who like God, who've understood Jesus on some level and said yes to him, that these could be the most powerful moments of our lives right here and right now. I remember for me growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, and most of you know this, but I grew up under Charles Stanley, who I thought was, and I really think probably still is, the best expository preacher. That means that he's just taking the scripture from beginning to end and preaching it of our generation. So I was rolling pretty strong about um, second year of college. You know, back in the old day, um, you heard a message on Sunday morning. Anybody remember? You heard a different message on Sunday night. Anybody? Anybody in that era? No? Um, those were all the 10 o'clock people. They're like, yay, I remember that. And why don't we do that? And um, then you would come back for Wednesday night Bible study. Anybody remember that? And hear another message? I'm so glad I wasn't a pastor back then. Because, I mean, that's three messages in four days. I mean, this is a lot of work going on. And it's, it may be, may be weird, though, that our understanding comprehension of God's Word may have gone down a little bit since now we only hear God's word once in a week being proclaimed over our lives, and for a lot of us, maybe once or twice in a month. But back then, you didn't have that option. You went when the doors opened, and you went a lot, and you heard different messages all the time. And even growing up under that, amazing teaching. I can remember sitting in First Baptist Church, Atlanta, Georgia, when we began to talk about our identity in Christ. It was a brand new subject for us, and we had heard a lot about God and his word, but we started looking at what it means to be in Christ. And we had a pastor come to our church named Peter Lord. I've mentioned him at Passion City before. 
And he did a message in our church called Turkeys and Eagles. And when he opened God's word in that message, it was as if my mind blew up inside my head. I saw and understood something that I hadn't really seen or understood in all of my journey of faith up to that point. And I'm telling you, that was a robust journey of faith to that point. And I'm believing and praying that that same reality is going to happen for us again here today. You know, the baseline for most people who go to church, most Christians, we're not talking about people out in the world who don't have a clue or want a clue. We're talking about people in church, people of faith, people who would call themselves Christians, the baseline most of us operate with is this. I am a sinner. So you say, well, who or what labels you? Well, one label we would all take on pretty heartily is sinner. That's who we are. That's what we are. That's what we do. And that is the baseline from which we began to process our lives and our relationship with God and everything else about us, and it leads us into, you know, a, a stage of life where there's the associated guilt and then a long-standing negotiation with God about that guilt. And so our lives as Christians, as people who are in church, is sinners, got guilt problems, working it out with God. And that's who we are and how we do our lives. And I believe that that could change for all of us today, but someone's going to stand up and say, man, I, I, I kind of am on board with you in believing from a baseline point of view, the thing that defines me big time is that I am a sinner. And why is it that we all would say that that's a good starting point for you and me? It is because we all sin, right? And so, duh, that's why we would think we're sinners, because we all sin. And, you know, sadly, we sin more than we want to. Anybody sinning more than you want to be sinning? Anybody here? No? Just you people right there, so that's good. <laughs> Y'all are all right here where I can see you, so that'll be good, because I'm in your camp, and I don't know. We got a holy cloud of witnesses around us today, which will be praying for us during this message, which will be very helpful for you and me. But we sin. We sin more than we want to. And here's the kicker. We can't stop sinning. We tried, amen? We told God we were going to, right? We promised our boyfriend, girlfriend, I'm telling you, I'm gonna stop doing that. I, you have my word. We, we've made a commitment with God. We, we went to a service. We rededicated our lives. We threw a stick in the fire. We uh, nailed something up on the cross. We, we've rededicated something. We made commitments. We made promises. We made vows. We swore to God. Literally, that we were going to stop sinning. And guess what? We didn't. And therefore, it makes sense to you and me that we are sinners. Because we sin, we sin more than we want to, and we can't stop sinning. And therefore, that must be who we are. And if you want some scriptural proof, there's always somebody to jump in there and tell you why it all makes sense. Number one, have you ever heard this one? Somebody says, well, I'll tell you what it says in Isaiah 64, 6. In the old prophet, it says this, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And you've got to kind of get the rags in there with it. <laughs> all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. And people are like, yeah, that's right. 
That's right. That's because we're all a bunch of sinners. We sin. We sin more than we want to, and we can't stop sinning. It's a problem. Somebody will say, yeah, well, it's in the Bible. It says in Romans 3.23, one of the core passages of the gospel, all have sin. If you're an all, could you just a little show of hands here? If you're an all, that's pretty comprehensive. All have sinned, and we know that because we sin. We sin more than we want to, and we can't stop sinning. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. Should have got one amen there. Got to be one deacon who still goes to another church sometimes that could just get a good hearty, now you're preaching, now you're preaching. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now you're preaching. And then even... That kind of came from the team area over there. That's kind of making me nervous. And then you look at this text, Ephesians, which we're going to dive into in a moment where we're getting the things God says about our lives, that we are chosen. We got that from Ephesians 1, that we are heirs of God. We got that from Ephesians 1. And Ephesians is written by Paul, the apostle. So what does Paul say about Paul? You go to 1 Timothy 1.15, and this is what Paul says. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Anybody know that verse, the King James come to mind right there for anybody? Just going old school, see if anybody came up around King James. That's what kind of goes into my mind when I hear this. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. King James says, among whom I am chief. In other words, we got a guy writing to us about who we are, telling us we're chosen, telling us we're heirs. And he said about himself, he was chief sinner. So certainly it makes sense that we are all sinners, therefore, that should be the baseline from which we start our lives. It should be the lens by which we see ourselves and the world. And we should have the associated guilt and a constant negotiation with God about said guilt. And that's kind of how life works, Louie. You're a sinner. You sin. You do things you don't want. You do them more than you want. You can't stop doing what you don't want to do. You feel guilty about it. You feel bad. God feels bad. You negotiate with God about the way that you feel and he feels. And that's basically a version of the Christian life. And then God comes in and says, uh, could I speak for a moment? Because I get the last word. And the last word is a pretty powerful word. And we're going to see it today as we dive in again to Ephesians chapter 1. And we've read this a couple of times now together, but um, I love the thought that we get to read it again today. It says, beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Is it okay if we read this again? Some of you have been here a couple of weeks, and you're like, man, we already heard this. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Why don't we just read that, that little phrase together a couple times. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Let's say it again. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Who's this letter written to? Saints. Who's this written to? Saints. This letter that we're reading is written to saints. So that's who it's addressed to. So on the back of the envelope, you would go, saints. Oh, okay, I get it. Open it up and read it as if it had your name on it. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he, God, chose us in him, Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he, God, predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. That's Jesus. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And all the people said, thank you, Lord. This is the best news of the day. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him, that's in Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, you and me, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Thanks be to God for the power of his word. Because when we read his word, we understand what God thinks about us. What God says is true about us. Now the nervousness can begin. Is all the people think, Lord, help Louie, because he can't spell, 
And now he's having to multitask in front of a whole lot of people all at once. So what is it that God is saying is the baseline from which he wants every believer in Christ to begin and to live their journey? It is that you are in Christ holy. You are holy in Christ. So we're not operating from a mindset or a position that says the summation of who I am is sinner. It's proved by the fact that I do sin, I sin more than I want to sin, and I can't stop sinning. And if you want to back it up scripturally, all my righteousness is as filthy rags, and we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And even Paul, who wrote this, said, Christ came to save sinners, and he was chief among all the sinners. So there you have it. That's who we are. But then we look into this word of God and it says, wait a minute, let God speak because God's going to get the last word. Christ is going to have the last word in your life, in my life. And he says right at the beginning of the letter, this letter is addressed to the saints in Ephesus. And we get included in that later in the chapter where it says, and you also are included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believe you got included in all of this. So this letter is written to you as well. And as the letter comes to you today, if it were sealed in an envelope, and if it had a, an address on it, it would say to you, the church in Atlanta, Passion City Church, or wherever you call home for your church, this is written to you, to the saints at Passion City Church. Church. And you say, oh my goodness, well, I don't know. He must be talking about the, the people working in bloom today, because if you're going to hold a baby for one of our gatherings, then you're a saint. So we'll go find him over there and give him the letter. No, he's sending this letter to everyone who's put their faith in Christ. And he's addressing it to you and to me as saints. And your translation may say accurately, instead of saints, holy ones. This letter is addressed to holy people in Christ. It's positional holiness. It's not predicated on our performance because none of us would stand up today and go, based on the weekend, you're looking at holy right here. You know, based on the last six months of my life, I think I can safely say now, we're talking holy. It's not performance-based holiness. It's positional holiness. It's because we have joined our lives to Christ by faith, and now we are in Christ. So that's what he says. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful, here's the phrase, in Christ. So if you're not in Christ, don't know for sure that you're in Christ, haven't taken that step of faith, this isn't true of you yet. It can be true of you when you take that step of faith, but this is God's viewpoint of all of us who have joined our lives to Christ. And then he amplifies in verse 4, for he chose us. God chose us, the Father chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be what? Holy and what? Blameless. Where? In his sight. 
So God isn't asking what you think. God is telling us today what he sees. And what he sees is sons and daughters in Christ, holy and blameless in his sight. He says, that's who you are. If you want to go nuts, do blameless. Too big a challenge for me, standing up here. But if you want to do it at home, do another word. Holy, blameless. This is who God says you are in Christ. You say, well, what about all that scripture that you were leading us to earlier about the filthy rags and all that stuff? Well, let's come back around that because what we have to do is let scripture interpret scripture. You can never let somebody pull one verse out of scripture and hold it up to you as scripture. You have to put that verse back into scripture and then let all of scripture interpret that verse in light of all of what God's word says to you and me. So if somebody ever just pulls out one verse for you and says, well, you know the Bible says this about that or this about the other, so-and-so says this about that, and that's all you have, then you're not gonna ever have the whole story. You have to let all of scripture interpret scripture. So we begin with uh, Isaiah 64, six. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And if that feels good to you, I'll tell you why, because it is absolutely true. And here's what it means. It means if you and I are gonna try in our own strength to do good deeds to impress a holy, righteous, sovereign God, when we stand before him and say, here's all of our good works, he's gonna go, that doesn't look that great to me. In fact, it looks like filthy rags in light of my glory. Your righteousness and my righteousness are like filthy rags, but guess what? God doesn't see us on the basis of our righteousness. He sees us on the basis of his righteousness. And in Christ, he says, you are holy and blameless in my sight. He needs some truth to back that up. Because you don't want to go home today and say, the guy said. You want to go home today and say, God's word is powerful. And so we go to Romans chapter 5, verse 15. And this is a beautiful story about Adam who created all the problems we're living in of the fact that we sin more than we want and can't stop sinning. And Jesus who came into the story to change all of that and put us in a brand new stream. And this is the way Paul writes it. Romans 5.15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many, exclamation point. Don't you love that? You're not gonna write that and put a period. You're gonna write that and go, bam, take that. That's powerful stuff right there. Why? Because it's predicated on what God does and God always does how much more, not how much less. Christianity is not about God giving you the short end of the stick. Christianity is about God handing you the big end of grace every single time. And what the world's done to us through the power of sin and fallen man, Christ has interrupted for us and changed forever because God does how much more? So let me say it a different way. He said, again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. 
Well, what was that? The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Adam and Eve sinned, and if it wasn't them, it would have been me. And that sin dominoed down and brought condemnation to all of us. But after all of the sin we did, Jesus did one act that brought justification to every single person who puts their faith in him. And so if you read on verse 17, 4, if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more? There it is. We've got two how much mores in this paragraph. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? Is that anybody here? Let's put your faith in Jesus and receive God's abundant provision of grace. How much more will those people who have received God's abundant provision of grace and of the what? The gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying Adam started a domino effect of sinfulness. Jesus interrupted that with one act, the innocent for the guilty, the son of God for the sins of the world. So that now the gift of God's grace and the gift of God's righteousness can come to you. And so, yes, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags, but guess what? We're not banking on our righteousness. We've been given a gift of his righteousness in Christ. You can look also, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Holy and blameless in his sight. The second text we looked at, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a great rationalizing verse. I don't know if you've ever met anyone like that before, but you're like, why'd you do that? Well, we're all just a bunch of sinners anyway. Why are you acting like that? Well, I don't know. You know, we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It's like the, the biggest cop-out on earth. And for a lot of people, it's their whole theology. Well, you know, Louis, don't get going off on talking about how we're, you know, this or that. Because, you know, the Bible says we're, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't know why you use that voice. I just kind of got somebody in my mind and I can see him right now. <laughs> and, you know, when somebody tells you that, just your response to that is comma. Comma. When they say, well, you know, the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So let's just go ahead and get it over with. Let's just go ahead and do some sinning because that's what we do because that's our baseline. That's who we are. That's why we do it, why we do it more than we want to do it, why we can't stop doing it. And it's, you know, it's, it's why I just did what I did. We're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. Your response to that, my response to that is going to be comma. You're going to say them comma. There's not a period there. There's a comma there. So could you continue that thought, please? We all sin. That's what it says. And come short of the glory of God. That's the thought. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you're going to be prone to say, I agree with that because I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what you're going to need to be able to say is, there's not a period at the end of that sentence. There's a comma at the end of that sentence. And if you're living with that sentence alone, you're missing the power of the gospel. 
and therefore you're going to label yourself incorrectly. You're going to see yourself as a sinner only, and that's going to be your operating grid for how you do life, and you're going to end up in a constant negotiation with God about the associated guilt of your sin all of your life, and that's why you're not going to lead a lot of people to faith in Christ, and that's why the world's probably not going to shake and reverberate because of your story and testimony, because who wants to get into a lifetime of negotiating with God over their guilt? We need a triumphant message as a church of Jesus. And the triumphant message is this, our righteousness, nothing in the sight of God. But check this out, he gave us the gift of his righteousness and changed our identity and we wear the label holy and blameless in his sight. It says, all have sinned, yes, amen, and come short of the glory of God. That is true, it certainly is in my life comma. Can we all just point at the comma? If you have your Bible, can you point at the comma? Circle the comma. If you're on your phone, can you highlight the comma? That's going to take a little precise work, but can you just highlight the comma and text that around to your friend group or tweet that out? I just highlighted a comma. Wow, amazing. I don't think it'll let you do that. If you're looking at the screen, can you point at the comma and just say, I see the comma? Can you say that? Do you see it? I see the comma. So what's after the comma? For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And so the conjunction means the story's not finished yet. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. And those same people who sinned and fell short of the glory of God are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And now you can put a period at the end of the sentence. They are justified freely. What does justified mean? Justified means their debt's wiped out. Their slate is made clean. All their guilt is gone. All the condemnation that they should have had is on Jesus and taken away from their lives. They are now justified, meaning they are standing before, in this case, God Almighty, and they are innocent now. They're justified. They've been proven right. How? On performance? No. On position in Christ. We've got to make sure that we don't let somebody sell us half of the gospel. You know, there are people floating around the world. Their Bible is a very simple Bible. It's a pocket-sized Bible because it matches up with their pocket-sized theology. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Then the maps and the glossary. That's the whole Bible. It's the whole Bible. That's all I believe. That's all you need. All you need to know is God created it, and we all sinned and fell short of the glory of God, and that's, you just work it out from there. I mean, it is a shorter glossary, so that, that is a bonus. And there aren't any maps, because who's going to go around the world to tell anybody that? We have a whole new message, and the message is we were in the boat of saying we're the sinners who came short of the glory of God, comma, and God is the one who mysteriously and miraculously said before the whole world and before you did any of it, I decided that in Christ I was going to make you holy and blameless in my sight. But what about Paul? He's the one who wrote this. He said he was chief sinner. Yeah, he did say that, and it definitely in his mind was true. 
And what he was saying was, if you lined up all the sinners on planet Earth, from worst to best, put me at the front of the line. Put me at the very front of the line, number one position, chief of all sinners. But that's not who Paul thought he was. That's where he was when he met Christ's grace and was joined into the position of a brand new life with God. Philippians 3, another letter that he wrote, just a page to the right, verse 7, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ, check this out, and may be found in him. There's your position. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Why? Because that's like filthy rags. But I want to be found in Christ with the righteousness which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I don't want to stand before God and say, look what I've done based on the law. I want to stand before God and say, thank you that I'm standing in the gift of your righteousness. What, how do you get it? It comes by faith in Christ. And so the chief of all sinners was the chief of all sinners. And you might want to try to bump him off for that position. You might say, I'll go toe-to-toe with Paul. If he thinks he's chief, I can show him. No, I'm chief chief because I'm, I'm, I got some stuff in my story. But when I met Christ Even though I was the chief of all the sinners, by his mercy, he gave me the gift of his righteousness by faith in Christ. And that's now where I am and who I am in Christ. And in his eyes, he sees me holy and blameless in his sight. So who's defining you when it comes to this one? Are your actions defining you? Because if they are, You may be stuck on center. Somebody's opinion of you defining you? Are you defining you? Are you saying, you know what, Louis? I I, I just can't buy it. I cannot see myself any other way than just a sinner saved by grace. You know, that's all I am. You know, we've kind of had that in the church most of our lives. You know, we're all just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. And that's about as good as it gets for most of us. And if it's you that's defining you, like I couldn't see myself holy, I couldn't see myself blameless, I can't see myself whatever, then that's okay, but you just have to be honest. I have to be honest, and you have to say, God, whatever you see and whatever you think is not more important to me than what I see and what I think. I get to define me. And the problem with that is you can, for a short time, do that, but God will get the last word, and at the very end of the day, he will say to you, no, you had way more than you thought you had, and you could do way more than you thought you could do. You just chose to walk and live with far less than what I had said was true about you. Half gospel you heard growing up, is that what's defining you still? Guilt-laden preaching, and man, we've all had some of that in our lives. And you want to get people to make decisions, just tell them how terrible they are and how lucky they are that God isn't blotting them out in real time while you're preaching. And then give the invitation and have the organ play and wait an hour and see if you can't get a thousand people on their knees. You can. But that guilt-laden preaching, you know what it does to us? It cripples us from the power of the true gospel of God. It's good for the preachers. It's terrible for the congregation. 
It's great for the decision tally at the end. It's terrible for the life experience of the people who God wants to grow into a brand new identity in Christ. And some of you grew up under so much of that that it's hard for you right now to think any other way than that because you've just had that drilled into your head your entire life. But I'm telling you, you can't let some church, some preacher, some background define who you are. You've got to open your eyes for yourself with the help and inspiration of God's Spirit and say, God, show it to me. Not what they said, what they believed, that church, that denomination, that stream. Show it to me, God. And if you show it to me, I will open my eyes to see what you have to say. So what is it? Is it your actions? Is it somebody's opinion? Uh, half theology you heard, some guilt-laden teaching? Um, is it you that's telling you that you're just a sinner saved by grace? Because I, or it could be the enemy telling you that. I guarantee you, here's a promise. Here's one thing the enemy is never going to say to you. He's never going to say, well, man, good morning. Look at you. You are holy and blameless in the sight of God because of your position in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, man, you're looking good today. Come on, come on. You are a saint. You are never going to hear him say that to you. Now, he's going to tell you, hey, that was good preaching, and everybody, amen, but you know it's not true. Don't you even think about it being true, because you know you sin, and you sin more than you want to, and you know you can't stop. And so let's just keep it real. He's never going to tell you, the enemy, about the powerful change that came to you when you were born again to brand new life in Christ. Because if he can keep you from grabbing onto that, then he can continue to keep you lowering your expectations about what you're going to do in life. So Peter Lord told this story, sitting there as a college student, he said there was a little eaglet that fell away from its nest and came to live among a bunch of turkeys. And it looked at the turkeys and it thought, you know what, they have a beak and I have a beak and they have clawed feet and I have clawed feet and they have feathers, and I have feathers, and they have wings, and I have wings, and it kind of looks like we're, you know, looks like kind of looks like they got wings like me. I can't really tell, and they can scamper and scurry, and they can jump and hop, and it kind of seems like we're all in the same boat here, and the little eaglet just followed along behind the turkeys and did what they did, ate what they ate, pecked around in the dirt like they pecked around in the dirt. And every now and then, there'd be a startling occurrence, and you know, a few turkeys would be like three or four inches off the ground momentarily, and the eaglet would do that, and he'd jump off the ground, and, but then they'd be right back to where they were. And finally one day, the, the, the mother of this little eaglet finally arrived on the scene and reconnected with the little eaglet, and instantly the little eaglet realized that's who I am. And when he watched her fly and watched her soar, he thought to himself, I can fly. And he spread his wings and he left the ground and he began to do what he was created to do. And the church is it's looked a lot like a bunch of turkeys for a long time. But in the church in Christ are eagles who are made for the heights, who are made to soar, and who are made with great possibility in their life. And this is the change. The change is not seeing myself primarily as 
turkey who maybe could look up in the sky and go, man, those eagles are really way up there. Not to look at ourselves as sinners and say, on the right day, under the right circumstances, I could actually do something saintly. No, it's to look at ourselves as saints in Christ, holy ones in Christ. Yes, remembering all the time that at any point in the journey, we can choose less than God's best. But it's a different point of view to say, I'm a sinner trying to do something saintly than to say, I'm a saint. And I do still have this extraordinary capability to choose less than God's best and to sin. And that's going to be the rub for a lot of us today. You're like, man, I want to believe it, Louie. I want to to embrace it. But here's the problem, right? And we're going to have to talk about this for a moment before we close. Here's the problem. We still sin. So it's like, okay, I get it. In Christ, I'm holy and blameless. In Christ, I have a new identity. In Christ, I'm a saint. In Christ, he sees me completely different. In Christ, I have the righteousness of God. In Christ, I'm justified. I get all that. But Louis, the problem is, positionally, I say amen, but experientially, we're not all there yet. And that's called the process of working out who we already are. So there's two kinds of holiness in Scripture, but you begin with what God has done in Christ, positional holiness, and then you step into the outworking of what is real about you and me, and that's called progressive holiness. And you have to make sure that even though we're going to celebrate progressive holiness today, we're still not going to hold that up as the determining factor for whether we are or are not holy. So we're not going to say, if I act holy, I'll be holy. We're going to say, I am holy, therefore I want to act holy. And that's freeing. And that's power. It's like when you were born, you were a human being. (laughs) You you don't take babies on 10-month human being checkup. You're a human being when you're born, right? But you would still probably say today, I want to be a better human being. Sure you do. I do. Don't you want to be a better human being? Yeah, but you're never going to say, I want to be a human being. Because you are a human being. And in the same way, we want to walk out our holiness and be more holy. But we're never going to say, I want to be holy because I am holy. In Christ, I am holy And I want to be a better, holy person because that's who I am in Christ. You're a human being. Now, you can act like a donkey. Um, I'm just looking around to see how that's going down with the married couples. I saw one elbow right over there. Mm Mm-hmm. I told you, and now he's confirmed it. God is speaking to you. You you can act like a donkey, but you are a human being. And you can act like a sinner, but you are a saint. And so what we want to lean into today is both embracing the position. See, what what does that mean? The, the, The first part of this today is that we agree with God. We agree with God. I mean... There's nothing you can do to honor God more than to agree with God. 
Stop arguing with God. Stop saying, well, I know you think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a saint, but man, I just don't feel it. I don't know. I, I, it just feels weird. You know, I mean, I grew up my whole life guilt-laden preaching, and I don't even know how to think about myself as anything other than just a sinner saved by grace, which, you know, really isn't, isn't in the Bible either, by the way. That's not a verse of Scripture. You know, first condemnation, 7, 11. <laughs> just a sinner saved by grace. No, you have to take the just out because the just is a pejorative word in that phrase. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I am a sinner saved by grace, but not just a sinner saved by grace because I'm more than a sinner saved by grace. If I was just a sinner saved by grace, I don't know how, what, what my hopes and expectations would be, but I'm not just a sinner saved by grace. Ephesians 2, turn the page. Chapter 2 says, yeah, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. So yes, I was a sinner, amen. And yes, I still can choose to sin, but in Christ, I was raised to new life with him, seated in the heavenly realms. I have access to God. I'm an heir of the kingdom. I've been chosen by God and loved by him. I'm a son of the king of the universe. I'm not just a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace with extraordinary opportunity now to live out the fullness of who God has made me to be. And for you and me to say today, I agree. I am in Christ a holy one. It's going to be revolutionary. You need to wait until you get to your car and don't want to freak your neighbor out right now. But wait till you get to your car. If you're riding with people, wait till you get home. But somewhere, get alone, go to the park, go for a run, and just say it to yourself. I'm a saint. I'm a holy one. Who knew? In Christ, everything changed. Oh, yes, I can sin. So don't start down that road. And my righteousness is like filthy rags, but I've got his righteousness, so don't start down that road. And I know we all sin and fell short of the glory of God, comma, don't start down that road. And I know he was a chief among all sinners, and I'm a chief among all sinners, but that's where I was when I met the goodness and the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God. It's not where I am right now. I'm in Christ right now, and in Christ, everything changes about me. I'm not just a sinner. I am a holy one in Christ. I'm a saint in Christ. That's who I am. And just try that out for a month or two. And when you come to God, don't roll in and go, oh, I know. I'm sorry. Help me, please. I know. Can we work it out? Is there any chance we're going to work this out? No? I didn't think so. You have to agree with God. And when you agree with God, you adjust your expectations of you. If you, if you stay on baseline center, then your expectation is going to be that you sin. But here's a news flash for us today. You can sin less. You're like, well, I don't want to. <laughs> I like sinning. <laughs> we can sin less. And that doesn't begin by saying, oh, I think I'm going to make some adjustments. It begins by agreeing with God. Because if you don't agree with God and you stay on baseline sinner, then your expectation will be that you'll sin. And then when you sin, you'll go, well, you know, we're all sinners. But if you begin with God, agree with God, your expectation is, I should act different. 
I should do something different right here because I am different right here. So agreeing with God brings an adjustment to our thinking. And then that leads us into the working out of the progression of the holiness that God has given us in Christ. And you say, well, what does that look like? It looks like this. It looks like yielding control of our lives to God's spirit and walking that out step by step by step. So yes, positionally, holy. But now, experientially, I want to yield to the Spirit of God in this moment so that I can walk out that holiness that God has put in me in Christ. And that's exactly where Paul goes in Ephesians. Chapter 1 is all about our position. Chapter 2, all about our position. Chapter 3 starts talking about how we live. Chapter 4 starts breaking it down that there's going to be a struggle between the old way of thinking and the old patterns of the sinful man versus the new way of thinking and putting on the righteousness now that we have in Christ. And then in chapter 5, it's just full on, here's what that looks like in life. So you see what he did for us? Position, everything changed. One and two. Chapter three, we're starting to transition a little bit. Chapter four, we're starting to see the tension and the struggle of living in a world where we got some old stuff going on in our thinking and our flesh, but something brand new happening in our spirit. And in chapter five, he says, let's just walk it all the way out. And man, he gets down to cases in chapter five. He gets real specific. He says in chapter five, verse one, be imitators of God. As dearly loved children, so don't look around at your friends to figure out how to act. Look at your father and figure out how to act. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So that's step number one if you're walking, looking at God. You're going to be a person who lives in love with people around you and with yourself. And then he shifts into verse 3. But among you, among who? The saints who are at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because of these. No, or of greed because these are, this is, this is the phrase, because these are what? Improper for who? For God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather there should be thanksgiving. Don't you love that? I mean, he's up in our grill now. But he's not up in our grill saying, hey, I don't want you to use any obscenity because if you use obscenity, uh, it's not going to make you holy. No, he's saying, you are holy, and holy people don't talk like that. You are righteous in Christ, so righteous people don't do that. Blameless people don't do that. People who've been changed by the power of the grace of God don't do that. So it's not don't do these things so that you can become holy. It is you are holy, now walk out that holiness in life. And he's saying, and I want to see it in action. I want to see it in action. He said, well, man, I don't know if I can do that. Well, you can't do that, and I can't do that. That's why if you turn one page back from Ephesians, just flip over from Ephesians one page, you're looking at Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the who? Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. So I say, live by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And then he unpacks that for us. So here's the way it works. God chose you before. You chose him. In Christ, he brought you to life as a son or daughter. And by virtue of that, you are an heir to everything God is and has. And in Christ, the one it says that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. In him, you are a new person. Forgiven, righteous, blameless, holy in his sight. And then he said, and I'm going to give you help. And he's going to be God, the Holy Spirit. And he, if you yield to him, surrender to him in the steps, he will lead you to do what holy people do. And he's good at it. He's so good at it, they named him Holy Spirit. So in Christ, you don't have sinful spirit. You have Holy Spirit. In Christ, you don't have human spirit. You have Holy Spirit. In Christ, you don't have Louis spirit or your spirit. You have Holy Spirit. His name is what he does. He leads us to walk out who God has made us to be. And so life apart from surrender, I mean surrender. I mean on our knees. I yield to you what you want, not what I want. Where you lead, not where I would have led. What you want to say, not what I want to say. What you want to look at, not what I want to look at. I surrender. I, I relinquish control to you, Holy Spirit. In that moment of surrender, we can walk out in his power who Christ has made us to be in the power of God. And that's the beauty. Who leads to do? Do doesn't make who. Who you are leads to what you do. What you do doesn't make you who you are. Positional holiness, becoming progressive holiness, where God is making us more holy, not making us holy, but making us more holy as we live it out in the same way that you seek to improve your state, state affairs on earth and be a better human being today than you were a year ago. But all the while, you've always been 1,000% a human being, and that's why you want to be a better human being, because you are one. <laughs> and that's why we want to live out a holy life, because we are holy. And the Holy Spirit says, keep reading before you close. Because if we close in verse 4 of chapter 5, we're going to miss maybe the most important verse of the day for someone here. And this is big truth. A while back in when I was living in Texas and working among college kids every day, a couple of college students and myself memorized Ephesians. And man, it takes a long time. And if you're going to say it every day like you do when you're memorizing that chapter, well, you better carve out 45 minutes every day to say this. So I took up biking at that time of life because that gave me the 45 minutes. And I remember every time I would get to this chapter, there would be this tension form. 
because it's all this position. God did it. God chose it. God made it happen. You're holy. You're blameless in God's sight. That's done. That's a fact. That's who you are right now. Okay, start walking it out. Okay, don't live like that. Don't look at that. Don't watch that. Don't talk like that. Don't be a part of that. Don't associate with that. That's not who you are. And then, boom, this big, giant, like, roadblock all of a sudden, right on the grace freeway in verse 5. Why don't you keep hanging out with the obscene jokers? Why don't you just run with the immoral friends? Why don't you just hang out and do what you want to do? Because of verse 5. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, these are idolaters, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So don't Be deceived and let no one deceive you with empty words because of such things. What things? Immoral living, impure living, greedy living, idolatrous living. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the disobedient. So do not be partners with them. And man, all of a sudden it's like, in Christ, in Christ, amazing, change, gift, grace, truth, power. Look at us, chosen, heirs, holy, blameless. Whoo, look at us, we're riding, dead, alive, raised, seated. Look at us, gifts, power, ability, woven into a body, all in Ephesians. This is who we are, immeasurably more than we can ask or think. God can do in our lives, in the church, and in Christ Jesus. Look at us go, look at us go. And then all of a sudden you get to five, five, and it's like huge roadblock, and you're like, he says, hey, make sure you don't bank on a decision you made 20 years ago, and then go live an immoral, impure, idolatrous life all the days of your life, willfully choosing every day to say, I don't care what you think, Holy Spirit. I don't care where you're leading me, Holy Spirit. I don't care what's your agenda, Holy Spirit. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to value what I want to value. I'll set the parameters. I'll decide what's okay for me. I'll decide where all the boundaries are. I'll watch what I want to watch. I'll do the shows I want to do. I'll let into my mind what I want to let into my mind. I'll hear the music I want to hear. I'll decide how it's all going to work out. Thank you very much. I'm in Christ. I'm chosen. I'm an heir. I'm holy. I'm blameless, and I'm good. He said, don't put your hope in empty words like that. Because if you run the race of willfully sinning against God, you're not standing on very good footing on the moment that you see him. You're like, I thought it was all by grace through faith. It is. It just might mean you didn't get the grace or the faith. And you never really were alive in Christ to begin with. And he's saying, don't bank on some thin word from back there. You want to be banking on the fact that today you looked up and said, Father, thank you for making me a son or a daughter. I want to look like you and walk like you and act like you and live like you. I want to be led by your spirit today. It doesn't mean we're perfect today. It just means we're in the process of perfecting. 
sting today and we are working out our righteousness day by day by day so that when he comes we're not going to say I'm glad you came today because I got it all together today you came on a good day no if he comes today we're going to say my righteousness filthy rags thank God I'm robed in your righteousness but hallelujah I wasn't laying over in the bed of willful rebellion for the last 10 years and I'm not really sure right now whether I'm alive in the spirit or not and that is, that is a big, big word today. You are holy. Hello? You are not in Christ, baseline sinner. You are saint, holy one. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. It's true, but we walk it out today by saying, Holy Spirit, lead me. And if none of that's happening in your life and hasn't been happening in your life for a long, long time, don't bank on a decision you made when you were nine. And don't make bank on some trump card you think you've got in the pocket to say, oh, well, I know I've just lived this willful life of sin, but at the end of the day, at the pearly gates, I just, I'm just going to, I got one of these in the, in the oval on the way out today, thank goodness, and then when I get to the gates, I'm just going to go, hi. Yeah. No, you don't want to bank on that. You want to bank on a life that's under conviction, not condemnation and guilt, but under conviction. Man, I wanna be in line with you, God. I'm not perfect, but man, I wanna be. I'm not doing this right right now, but I'm not comfortable not doing it right right now. I didn't make a good decision this weekend, but I am not happy with not making a good decision this weekend, because that's not who I am. And that changes everything about you, and it changes everything about me.